2 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother. For he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder. And he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at the time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom. Now, we've talked about it before, but Jehoshaphat doesn't seem to learn his lessons. He is going to ally himself with the kings of Israel again and say, I will go up. I am as your people. I am as you are, my people as your people, so forth. And that's not going to be a good thing. But Moab had been subdued by Ahab and rebelled after his death, figuring they didn't have to pay that uh, ransom basically anymore. And if you're wondering why Jehoshaphat would join in, it would seem to be that a weakened Moab would benefit Judah. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to see Moab's going to come back again. And uh, of course, that's partly because they didn't finish them off here. They say, which way shall we go down? And Jeroboam suggested by way of the wilderness of Edom, they had two ways that they could approach this. They could go directly across the Jordan and take all the troops across there. Or they could go the long way, which is indirect, go all the way down to Edom and then work their way back on up. That took a lot longer. You're bringing a large army. If you're going to bring a large army, you've got to bring all the supplies you need for a long trip. And they apparently didn't do it. So going direct would have been a better way. For some reason, they decided to go down to Edom, probably the best idea is they could pick up more forces because Edom was a dependency of Judah. So if Judah came on through, he could say, hey guys, give me some of your army as we're going up and they probably would have done it. Well, they, they did do it. We, we know that Edom is involved in, in this one. So right now we have two kings joined in. As we go through Edom, we're going to pick up a third. Verse 9, so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom and they marched on that roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. You've you got to bring animals along with you because you've got to kill them to eat them. <laughs> so that's why they, they brought all those things. They didn't have free dry packs that they brought along for the, the troops. They had live animals, and you know this one was for Monday, this one's for Tuesday, this one's for <coughs> right, on, right on down. And they didn't have enough to water the army and the, the animals. This is something that you would think when you go out to battle often enough, you ought to be thinking about it. And for some reason, three kings are involved, two kings were involved in the, in the major part of the, the roundabout part, and they didn't think about it. Or at least if they did, they didn't think about it enough. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. I often, how many times we think of our poor planning, the result that God has... <laughs> called us to fail. But that's simply just they didn't plan this thing out. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? 
Now, they don't have false prophets to get through because they're not home. And you may bring the animals with you to eat, but you don't necessarily bring the prophets along with you. So there is basically no prophet around. So Jehoshaphat says, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? But So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. So wherever he was at this time, that's where they're, they're going down to. Now we know that Elisha, in the chapter before, had come back across the Jordan and he was making his rounds on some of the cities. Uh, perhaps he had finished that and come all the way back to the, the Jordan. Perhaps they had come all the way back on up with the army and they were just crossing over the Jordan to go over and see him. I can't imagine he would be on the side of the Jordan that they are because he's called into the land of Israel as a prophet there. So in my estimation, they're probably going across the Jordan, which to take a couple of kings across is probably a lot easier to do than to take an entire army. But maybe it is that Elisha had come over the Jordan again and was over on their side. Well, however it is, he's not far from them, and somehow they are aware of it, and so they send him on down. I do not get the idea from any of this that Elisha has come along with them. That doesn't seem to be the, the impression I get from this or from Elisha's attitude with this. But up to this point, the reliance has been on, on the flesh. Great numbers. We're going to outnumber these, these folks out there. And a roundabout route, the reason for the roundabout route is to catch them by surprise. If you came over the Jordan, they probably would see that. But if you go down by the, the wayside, you can maybe sneak on up on them, maybe catch them by surprise. So everything right now is uh, just in a natural standpoint, flesh standpoint, just trying to get the advantage that way. But now they face a problem that demands a spiritual solution. How many times do people go at it on their own, what they can do, what they can muster up, their own flesh, until they come to a spot where their flesh is inadequate? And then, of course, God, I need help. So it said that Elisha is with the company, but as we said, he's probably not actually with them because it doesn't seem like Elisha would have been going with this, this group. They went, when they went down, they probably went down a little ways from where the camp was or, as we said, went across the Jordan. So all, go through, all three go down to meet Elisha. I put this in your outline for you. Would Jehoshaphat have sought the Lord sooner if he was on this endeavor without Israel? It seems like whenever he gets together with Israel, that seeking the Lord is not first thought. But when he faces a problem and he's by himself, seeking the Lord becomes first thought. So I'm just wondering if that's something that's because of the company that he keeps. Do we ever find it ourselves that maybe we feel a little uncomfortable seeking the Lord first or asking to seek the Lord first because of who we're around, who's around us, people at work, family members, don't believe, things like that. Verse 13, Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to your prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Now see, that right there doesn't tell me that he wanted to come along with them. So I don't think by him being around there or in, in that, that group that he's necessarily in the company that is, uh, that is going, that he's made this trek along the way. <clears throat> but the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now, it's easy to predict a bad future. And a lot of times people like to do this. They predict their own bad future because it's easier to get that right. And so he's just decided to prophesy this, so to speak, that because it looks like we have no water for all these, that God has brought us all together. Certainly it wasn't our fault. 
We didn't do anything for this. God must have brought us all together because He wants to wipe us all out. No, you guys just were stupid and didn't bring the water. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. And those are pretty strong words. We saw that some with the story before. But certainly we see Elisha just comes right out here and says it. That the only reason he's going to have any take any time with this at all is because of a good king. So Edom is not a good king and we know that Israel is not a good king. But they're all in cahoots. And so because they're all in uh, unison with this thing or going out this battle, God is, is showing up. God is uh, here to help them. And well, we'll get to that here in a little while. So he goes, he gives them a, a word. Uh, verse 15, But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Now this does not mean that musicians bring the hand of the Lord. This is the only prophet who did it. Elijah, Elijah I never get the idea from him that he likes church, period. <laughs> because church involves people. And he doesn't, he doesn't like people. And he's not going to pastor the church. And surely any pastor that's pastoring the church isn't going to be adequate. It's just the impression I get from Elijah. Uh, but Elisha's not that way. Elisha likes the fellowship of people. And so he, uh, music he probably just has, has seen really helps him to get to that place that he wants to be at. And we sure see that anymore in services today. We like to have good, good worship coming on in before before other things and we had that certainly on Sunday and other Sundays as well but when we see this come in there's not necessarily a, a scriptural tie to that but certainly there is for, for Elisha He's, he certainly likes to, to see that come about so he says now bring me a musician and it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him and he said thus says the Lord make this valley full of ditches for thus says the Lord you shall not see wind nor shall you see rain Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you and your cattle and animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Hmm. Now we know that Jehoshaphat is not without fault in all this, but despite his fault, despite his shortcomings, God is still willing to show up and brings quite a powerful word and also predicts a victory for these three kings, two of which do not serve the Lord. We look over in Second Chronicles chapter 19 and verse 2, And Jehu, the son of Hanani the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. So it didn't see that Jehu was too fond of uh, him teaming up with unsaved Folks, in Second Chronicles 20 and verse 36, And he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. This is again the king of Israel. And they made the ships in Ezion-Gabir. First Kings 22:48. we read before, Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed for the ships were wrecked in Ezion-Gabir. So where they made them is where they got wrecked and they uh, in, in, endeavored to, to take on this project together with an unsaved king and it didn't work out. This one's going to work out. They're going to team up and they're going to have the results that they, they wanted. But um, God is not too pleased. 
Now, as far as, far as the prophecy is concerned, there's one thing in the prophecy that seems to be a little contradictory to other scriptures. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 19, When you besiege a city for a long time, while making war against it, to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wooding an axe against them. If you can eat of them, do not cut them down to use in the siege, for the tree of the field is man's food. So this is a command that that God gave to Moses to give to Israel, that if you go and attack a city and put it under siege, that you are not to cut down the fruit trees, the, the trees that bear food, and use them in the siege. I guess you can use any other tree, but if it bared, if it had fruit, leave it alone. But here it's basically saying cut them all down, even the good ones. So either it means either the good regular trees, or it may mean the fruit trees, and maybe Moab because of their sin, God has uh, said we're, we're not going to extend to them that mercy of cutting down the fruit trees. We're going to take them all out. Now, fruit tree takes a number of years. Once you plant it, it doesn't just bear fruit. It takes a number of years for it to get to that place. And so God, is, in His mercy, is letting the, the trees, the fruit of the trees, which you don't get from planting them uh, in a, a vegetable garden, you don't get the fruit of the trees. So He's keeping them around. So it could go either way. They seem to have full understanding of which way it was going and, and went out that way. But it seemed, as far as we know, they didn't put any city under siege. Siege takes a long time. It doesn't happen right away. And this battle does seem to go through pretty quick. So that never really seemed to put a city under siege. And do you all know what siege is? It's when you uh, surround the city and basically starve them out. Well, that doesn't happen overnight. That takes a little while for that to, to go on. Verse 20. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings of Israel had come to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered and they stood at the border. So Moab is not caught by surprise. That may have been their intention, but that didn't work. Moab found out about it and they came on out to, to, to meet them in battle and not just wait for them to come to them. But it says, now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered, that's around the time the grain offering was offered, that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. What happens here is that up in the mountain areas, it can rain. And when it did that, it would rain hard and it would create a flash flood in this area. It was actually a known phenomenon that would happen in this particular area and would come rushing down the plain. Where they're digging these ditches is actually a dried up creek bed, from what I'm told. And it, when the water would fill up up here, it would come running on down. So it was a very quick thing. It's like a flash flood that would come. And without any warning, the water would just come, come through. So what this is basically telling us is that God gave Elisha a prophecy about something that would happen at a certain time. It says, now go out there and dig the ditches. But the rain had to have happened before. Sometime before. It, it can't just happen and then come down. It takes some time for the water to make its way down the path to where they are before that goes on. So God had to time it. Imagine this. God times it that the rain comes at the time when the water would come, would come on down, so that nobody working on the ditches would get drowned, that the, it would fill in the ditches and recede, because in order for this to have the effect that it needs to have, the water needs to come through and then recede and go away, so that just the ditches are filled. Mm-hmm. If you have rushing water, you can't feed your, your cattle with that. So it's a, a lot of timing that went on, and to, to God it was nothing. But it had a lot of effect on, on this. Then they rose up early in the morning and the sun was shining on the water. 
and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. So they saw not a solid area of water. They saw ditches filled with water and those ditches looked red to them. Either the reflection of the morning sun or God caused them to just see it as red. However it happened, they look out there and they see these where there was nothing. It was dry. And now all of a sudden there's all this red out there and they come to the conclusion that they have gotten angry at each other because there are three kings that are involved and they decided to fight each other instead of coming up there and fighting them. And that they've killed each other and all that's left is their blood on the ground and so all we've got to do is go down there and get the, the spoil. And they said, This is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and killed one another. Now therefore Moab to the spoil. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land killing the Moabites. So regardless of who outnumbered who, when the Moabites come down, they are not coming down for battle. They're coming down to loot. So they're not coming down in formation. They're not coming down with discipline. They're coming down just to who's going to get the most stuff first. And they got surprised. Then they destroyed the cities and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And they stopped up all the springs of water and they cut down all the good trees. But they left the stones of Kir Haraseth intact. Now that seems to be the capital of, the, of Moab. However, the slingers surrounded it and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew the sword to break through to the king of Edom. But they could not. Now, the purpose of breaking through the king of Edom, I'm not positive. It could be that he felt like he had a better relationship with Edom. Maybe he could swing him. Hey, you and I, we team up. We can beat these guys and you're not subjected to them anymore. That would make more sense to me than anything else. Uh, maybe he could just say, look, can you help me out here and uh, exit me? Uh, whatever it was. He decided that Edom was his best place to go. And so he's going to try and make a target for the king of Edom. So he got 700 men to try and break through and they couldn't break through. Then he took his eldest son who would have reigned in his place and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel so they departed from him and returned to their own land. Now this makes no sense to me. I've read this over I don't know how many times and many times before. It just makes no sense. You are, your purpose is to kill all the people. To wipe them out. And he's helping you by killing one of them but he's just doing it on the wall. As a burnt offering. And that grosses you out so you go home. I don't, you just slaughtered how many people? You just killed how many people coming through? Ruined the land. Threw the stones. Cut down all the trees. Did all this different stuff. And now because of this you just turn around and go home. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why they, why they did. So they departed from him and returned to their own land. But they didn't finish what they were supposed to do. They're supposed to wipe them out. And they didn't do it. Moab's going to come back and be a problem again. So Moab's not caught by surprise. <clears throat> they had no knowledge of the water coming through. So the water had come through, rushed through, dissipated, gone its way, and they never knew that it was there. And so when they woke up, they didn't know that water had come through. They're, they know of this phenomena. It's not a brand new phenomenon. It's not something that didn't happen before. It just doesn't happen all that often. But they, they surely were not thinking that that's something that, that came out. Because when it goes on before, there weren't ditches out there. This, it's come through before, it goes away, and, and that's it. But now they made ditches. Somebody went out there and, and made ditches. And think about this. If you, are, if you need water, because everybody's dying of thirst, what's one thing you don't want to do? 
Go out and dig ditches. That makes you thirsty. That's got to make you more thirsty. So that's got to sound outrageous. What do you mean? We're dying of thirst now and you want us to go out and work in the sun. Because it's sunny right now. It's hot. Probably not a lot of shade out there. And this is what you want us to do. And they had a lot of reason to to doubt this, this prophecy. Remember, two of the kings do not believe in God. Therefore, they wouldn't believe in Elisha as a man of God. Only Jehoshaphat does. But they go ahead and they they do this because probably they're desperate, probably because they feel like they have no other way out, and they go ahead and dig the ditches. But there is no way. We're not digging wells. We're digging ditches. Ditches are only a a foot, maybe two feet. It's not deep. Just digging some ditches. Now, they were at least told what was going to happen, that water was going to come through. So, that at least helps out. God didn't just say dig ditches. They at least knew what was, what was, to, uh, what was coming on here. But, it seems that whenever we go to God for help, most of the time, what does God say to us? Do something. We've got to act on some kind of... We've we got to act on a thing. Sunday we looked at the, the nobleman who came to Jesus and Jesus told him something to do. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> Going home is a hard thing. Now, he could do it, but it's a hard thing to do. Most times God is going to ask us to do something that we can do, but either what it's, he says to do makes no sense, <laughs> doesn't seem to have any effect upon what we need, uh, it, it, it challenges us in, in many ways. It challenges our faith. But God will say, this is what I want you to do. If you're having a, an issue in your body, God may tell you to do something different in a diet, may tell you to do something different in an exercise, may tell you to do something different in uh, whatever habit you might have. And that may seem like it has absolutely no effect upon what it is that you're doing. But he said to do it. So what do you do? You go ahead and you do it. It's a whole lot easier to see this thing making sense from our perspective because we're here afterwards. It's very difficult for them at the time to do this. Dig ditches, and you're asking people who do not follow God, have no respect for God, because, because that old guy over there, because he said this is what we're supposed to do, we're going to go out here and dig ditches. Yeah, that makes, this is just a place for, the, for them to bury us is what it is. He's having us dig us our own, own graves. I'm sure all kinds of stuff like this could be started and you could have conversations going on. But this is, uh, this is what God said to do. Whenever we come to God for help, generally God is, God is going to tell us to do something. Sometimes it's, if we have a financial need, he may tell us to sow an offering. We may look at that offering and say, but this offering is so small. It doesn't matter. We just go ahead and we do what, what God says to do. Sometimes we're looking for a job and God may tell us to do something that seems to have nothing related to a job. Mm-hmm. But God says, go out there and do this. And by us doing that, another opportunity opens up. Something else comes up. We, we follow what the Spirit of God tells us to do. I love that story. I told it before, but the, the guy who was, um, had a job and he got laid off for that job and he just kept confessing, well, God's going to give me a, another job and I'm going to be paid twice as much. Just kept confessing that and, and was going out and looking and looking, nothing, nothing. Going out and looking and looking and nothing. And next day he, he got up and went out and he looked and nothing was coming up. 
And he saw a coffee shop and he just felt impressed to go in there into the coffee shop. He went in there and sat down, saw somebody he knew from before. And they went over and they sat down and they were talking. He found out, hey, you're looking for a job? Hey, I, kn- I either had a job or knew somebody, got him hooked up with a, with a job and was making twice as much money as he was before. But if he didn't get out, if he didn't go looking for a job, he wouldn't have been near the coffee shop. And by, uh, by being near the coffee shop, he had to go into the coffee shop. And that was that particular shop at that particular time. And God brought all that together. God can do some stuff if we just listen to him to, to do it and believe in him to do so. So the only one who probably would have had faith in this is Jehoshaphat. And he probably had some convincing to do to the other kings. And once he got the other kings on board, then that was their job to get their people on board and to, to bring them. Because Jehoshaphat, he, they have, people of Israel has no reason to listen to him. In fact, there's probably animosity between them anyway. And, and Edom, well, you guys are forcing us to pay you all money. <laughs> They're not real happy about this whole thing either. But he had to get the leaders on board. Once he got the leaders on board, then they had to, to get everybody else in there. But as we put in your outline, when you ask God for help, most times he asks you to do something possible as seed to reap what is impossible. There is something that you can do. The man with the, with the, who was lame at the pool, what did Jesus say to him? Rise up, take up your bed, and walk. He didn't ask him to do anything that he didn't already have. He had a bed. He just asked him to rise up, take up your bed, and walk. And the man rose up, took up his bed, and he walked. The man with the withered hand, what does he have with him? Well, he's got his withered hand. Stretch it forth. God will take what it is that we have and make it work. We'll see down the road here. Elisha's going to come to a place and a person's going to need some money. And so he's going to tell her what to do with what she has. She has oil in the house. He's going to tell her what to do with that oil. God will tell us what to do with what we have. If you begin to hear a voice telling you to do something with something you do not have, that's probably not God. Because when we have any examples in the Bible, he's telling us to do something with what we have. We don't have to go get something. We, we have it now. That's why when you hear those people come on up and they say, you know, if you just sow $1,000 into this offering, well, what if you don't have $1,000? God's going to do something with what you have. Yeah, they'll get them to take out a loan. But that's not God. God doesn't say, go borrow this thing. <laughs> now, the woman with the oil, she, she had to go out and she had to, to, to get some, some, some pots. But all she got was some empty pots from neighbors and brought them on in and then sold the oil and gave the empty pots back. That was uh, no investment on, on her part. But God's going to make us use what it is that we have. Sometimes it's effort that we don't want to put in. We're tired. We don't want to. But whatever it is, God will take what we have, tell us to put it to work in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Remember when Jesus was uh, with the disciples and after they let him use his boat, what's he say? Go out in the deep for a catch. And they said what? We've been fishing all night. But at your word, we'll go ahead and, and, and do it. Yeah. Now, if you read, read this... Uh, I told you, I'm reading through this year in the New, uh, the new Living Translation. Mm-hmm. I am not sure why Brother Rick loves this translation. <laughs> I think uh, 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 Bob Yenyan likes it as well. Uh, I'm not loving it. 
I'll, I'll read it. It's kind of a secondary thing, but I got to that. We got to that story when we were talking about the nets. The New, new Living Translation, it says nets all the way through. I get so mad at that. I says, no, I, <laughs> I know from the Greek, that is singular. <laughs> that is singular. Well, at your word, we will cast out the net. The net. And so that's all that they, they did, and they got more than that net could hold. But God just asked you to, to put to work what it is that you have. That was the situation where they didn't put to work all that they had, nor did they do exactly what he said to do. But still, God brought them a bountiful harvest. They just didn't have the wherewithal to catch it all. I like what Brother Key says when he was talking about that. He says, God knew how many fish could that, that boat could hold. He gave them more fish than the boat could hold. God, God will give us more than we can handle. Amen. He's okay with that. He's a God of surplus. But He's going to ask you to put to work something that you have. Amen. And so whenever we ask God for help, He's going to ask us to do something. But a lot of times when people come and ask God for help, you, you look at a lot of meetings anymore. And people have something in their body and they wait for the prayer line and they come up in the prayer line, I need you to just lay hands on me so that I'll be healed. No effort on their part. Mm. Nothing on their part. And we wonder why some things aren't going on the way that they, they should be. Well, God's usually asking, whenever the stories we have of healing, He generally said something to them. The lepers come to Jesus. What does He say? Go show yourselves to the priest. So they, as lepers, begin to make the, the trek to going over to show themselves to the priest. There is some kind of effort on, on the person's part. The woman with the issue of blood made the effort changed their conversation, made the trip over to where Jesus was, fought through the crowd, touched the hem of his garment, received her healing. There's going to be something on, on our end. We can't get into a works mentality that we're going to earn this thing. We just have to realize that God's going to tell us to do something. And when God tells us to do it, we just need to do it. And have faith that what he said to do is going to work. Even if he says to go out and dig ditches, when there's no water around. That he's got, a, he's got a plan for that. The other thing we ought to look at with this is that God is committed to you. God is committed to you. You are a child of God and God is committed to you. So consider him before you commit yourself. Because Jehoshaphat just committed himself. King of Israel says, Hey, will you go down with me? I am as you are. My people is your people. My horses is your horses. God is committed to us. And because of Jehoshaphat, God showed up into that situation and, and did some things. And um, only because of, of Jehoshaphat. God is so committed to you that he will show up with unbelievers around just to help you out. If you've got a work situation going on and you are the only believer, God is committed to you so much so that he will bless that place because of you. Just because you are there. He's not committed to you. That's, our, that's the God that we serve. He shows us that over and over again. Now if he tells you, alright, I'm done with this place, get out. Well then just get out. That's, that's a whole different matter. But until he says that to you, you, you walk in on there and God will bless that place just because you are there. Whenever you get into a group of people and they're all talking about heathen things, just keep in mind, God is committed to me. Because God is committed to me, He is 
committed to help me out in this situation and even help these people out because I'm here. Because I'm here, God's going to show up. And just be, be thinking about that. This is a situation you can remind yourself. If Jehosh, just Jehoshaphat being there, all the mistakes he made in getting to this place, but still, when they ask God, God comes and says, if it weren't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't have any interest in this whole thing. But, but bring me a musician and, and you know, we'll, we'll come. I think it's an interesting that they bring a musician around. If I'm going to war, I don't think I need to bring musicians, but maybe one of their guys knew how to play an instrument. Imagine carting that instrument around while you're going to war. Huh. I don't know. But here's the other thing we ought to learn from this thing, and that is before the blessing gets to us, prepare to harvest it. Before the blessing gets to us, you need to prepare to harvest it. They dug ditches before the water ever arrived. They brought... They dug ditches to catch the water, to feed, or the, to water the horses and themselves way before the water came. There was no water. There was no water coming as far as they could tell. But God says, dig them. You're not going to hear rain. But I'm going to fill those ditches up. I'm going to fill them up with some water. And they had to prepare for it ahead of time. we got to make preparation ahead of time for what God's going to do, for that God's going to bless us, that God's going to do some things for us. So what is it that we want God to do? And are we making preparations for that? Or are we making uh, the the backup plan for what happens if it doesn't doesn't work? Uh, We've got to make preparations for the blessing of God to come. Because the blessing of God is going to come because God said that it would. And here's another thing we, we can see. The situation that looked like it would kill them, God used to deliver them. They all thought they were going to die because they had no water. And then they turned to God. And God says, your lack of water, I will turn around and use that as a way to deliver you. So what was intended to kill them came along and ended up delivering them. And how many times do we see that in the Bible? What was intended to kill them, God turned it all around and turned that situation into what opened up the whole thing for Moab to be defeated and for them to have the victory. Don't ever forget that God can turn anything around. And what is meant to kill you, what the devil means to to silence you and to take you out, God can turn it around in a matter of moments and do some things that you can't even see. They had no idea that Moab would look on the water and see it as blood. They had no idea about that. All they knew is that God was going to give them water so they can go into battle. And God did far more with it. Just trust in the Lord that He does deliver and that He will deliver you. Father, we thank You for the examples of Your Word and so many applications for this in our life. Father, You can turn what the devil meant to destroy us into what you can use to deliver us. Father, we thank you for it. We thank you that we can make plans to harvest the blessing before it ever gets here. Thank you, Father, that you are committed to us. And wherever we go, we bring you with us. And that you have an interest in whatever it is that we get involved with. So we need to be careful what we get involved with. We need to be thinking 
is this something my father wants me involved with? Because I will be involving my father if I get involved with this. Oh, we need to to be thinking about that. Thank you for the great help that you give us in our life. You strengthen us. You protect us. You deliver us. You empower us. You look out for us. You can cause rain in the mountains to come flowing down into the valley just at the time that we need it. We thank you that you do that. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.